If you want to build a recipe for your kids to not consider faith important, is you cannot have the model of do what I say, not what I do. Your kids will watch who you are, not what you say. Welcome to Keystone Conversations, our regular focus on topics important to the Keystone family. My name is Randy Woodbraid, elder here at Keystone, and with me today, I'm excited to say a panel of rock stars. Matt Fry. Hello. Teaching pastor here at Keystone. Brent Minter. I'm here. Our lead pastor and Aaron Carlson, our director of Keystone Kids. Hello. This is awesome. So I'm obviously the least qualified, least credentialed person on the panel today. So that's why you'll hear the least of me. So Brent, we're excited because uh, this is kind of a kickoff podcast for us. This is something we've been wanting to do for a long time and another touch point with our people. Why are we, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of demand on people's time. Why are we doing this here at Keystone? You know, one of the things that we do uh, in our church is we preach the books of the Bible and we love that rhythm in our church, but there's often moments where there's conversations that are happening in our culture or conversations that are around coffee tables that... Uh, you know, when you're in the book of Exodus, you might not be able to hit that in that moment. But this gives us an, a platform to have some very practical, some very doctrinal, theological conversations. And just as a regular rhythm, that we're just sitting around having conversations about things that are happening in some of the places that people are at in real life. That's a great point. These are kind of the conversations you have after a service in the hallway. These are the conversations you have in your connection group. This is not, hopefully it won't feel any different than what you have, but we're just trying to give some intentionality to the topics and also things that people are bringing to us as leaders all the time. And so that's our overall goal. And today's goal is something that's on the forefront of a lot of people's mind. mind. We are a church for the next generation, and that is parenting. As a parent, as we all are, one of the things on your mind is, how do I pass on my faith to your children? This is a focus of Keystone Kids. To focus ourselves as parent and Matt, you've found some helpful resources regarding um, kind of an interesting view from maybe someone we wouldn't normally look at regarding faith and parenting. Right, it's an article I read back in the spring from a guy named Christian Smith, who's probably in theological circles really well known for something called moralistic therapeutic deism, which is a mouthful, but it's basically the idea that God is kind of a cosmic therapist. And so he developed that idea. And if you Google that, you can get on a rabbit hole that doesn't relate to what we're talking about. But uh, Christian Smith is very famous for that in kind of our circles, that thinking about God. He's a sociologist at Notre Dame. So he wrote this article on parenting based on a book he's written. And you can find it at firstthings.com. That's all one word, firstthings.com. If you search his name, Christian Smith, just like it sounds, you'll find this article. And when I read it in the spring, to me, and I had sent this article out to some folks and said, it's almost like a parenting seminar in mm. an article. It, right. I think it's that good as it relates to the topic at hand, which is how do I pass my faith on to my children? That's great. What a, what a good find. And I know we're, we've redesigned our website recently, and so we're going to continue to use that as a resource to kind of as a delivery channel. Right. And so we'll be giving you some information at the end for that. But there's some main topics that... Um, Smith's article goes through. And let's talk about this first one. This first one is the concept of pressure on us as parents. And Aaron, as we, you know, before we even talk about how to be a good parent and do all this, Christian parents, we have this additional pressure that many of our secular friends don't. Um, we are getting judged, we feel. We're getting asked about, well, are you being a good parent and passing on your faith to your kids? And it's just one of a series of pressures on us today. Um, what have you seen on the front lines as you've talked to parents in your ministry um, do 
Do you see that a lot? What are kind of the reactions you see in terms of that pressure they feel? I think we feel it because we are surrounded by it with our peers, like mm. you said, but we also feel it because we know how valuable it is to ourselves that we want our kids to experience the things, same things that we're experiencing, those same blessings, the same um, you know, level of excitement that we have for our faith. We want that for our kids as well. So we sometimes put the pressure on ourselves and we aren't, you know, doing it. It's not what God wants for us. He's not putting the pressure on it. It's what we're choosing to put on ourselves. Oh, that's a great, that's a great point. And it can come from every area, right? It can be your peers. It can be people like in your connection group, you're closest to. It can be from people that are just, are even out, you're outside, right? It's also the people that just do it way better than you. <laughs> oh, exactly. We kind of had to do the self-ranking of the parent list and, and who you talk to. So it's not just, are they good at sports and are they good at school? And, you know, did they not screw up in the service last week and interrupt? You know, now it's, well, where are they with their faith? It's yet another thing for us to do. He, he says in the article, you know, he says, every religious parent has heard stories about children of faithful parents who grow up and neglect or reject religion. And we, we have a name for that now in our culture and mm. it's deconstruction. I mean, it's right. a cottage industry on social media of, you know, people walking away from their faith. So I think an added pressure is, we live in a time where we even have a word that identifies that now. And I think every every parent knows that's out there and you wonder, is that going to be my kid? So I think, you know, internally you even feel that kind of pressure. And that's a great point. And that's, that's where the possible failure comes from, that fear. So Matt, let me, let me jump off of that. You, those fears are valid, correct? Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I think so. It has to be balanced with obviously trust in what God's going to do and how God's going to work. And we can be eaten alive by that in, in very much a wrong way. Right. How, what are some of the techniques, uh, anyone on the panel, in terms of, you know, how have you seen parents deal with those fears? And so it's a legit fear. I want my children to pass on my faith. What are some of the ways you've seen them deal with that, that downside failure that seems of eternal consequence? Man, I think of... I see, I can think of two things just off the top of my head is guilt and shame. Like mm. how they deal with that fear is that there's a lot of guilt that they're not doing it right. I also, this is unique, and I don't think we expose this enough in Christian circles. There are some parents that their fear that this is going to happen lends itself to way too much control in their kids. Oh, that's a great point. Like that sometimes seems like a the piestic thing to do, and I get it, but there's nothing wrong. We have responsibility to care for our kids, but there's a level where our fear is maybe us bowing to a control idol and mm. not just shepherding our children well. That's a great point. I think one of the things we also forget is that God oversees that also. Mm. So we think that our failure is somehow failing their faith and that God is not strong enough or big enough or grand enough in their child's life to overcome that disbelief. And so I think sometimes we put that fear there too, that we forget that God has it. Even if they walk away, God's still in control. We are not. That's a great point of putting our eyes in the promise. And, and sometimes we're our worst enemies in just our own actions, right? Because probably the biggest influence, I would still argue, we're still the biggest influence in our children's lives. And so to the extent you, they see or we feel they're seeing hypocrisy in our actions versus what we're telling them, that can sometimes drive that wedge even deeper in terms yeah. of, um, am I doing this right? Yeah. And I think that lends itself to uh, the question of hypocrisy and, as a parent. And I think of it this way, Randy. I um, have a daughter who is learning to drive. 
And Pray, prayers for you right now. She's actually does really well, but it exposes some hypocrisy because in <laughs> uh, because now she calls me out on what she knows is wrong. Okay, been there. Yes. Okay, so she's like, you know, and my model is do what I say, not what I do. In in driving, I've been driving for twenty five years. Some of the some of the small things, like okay, it's not a big deal, but it exposes like, oh man, <laughs> I'm a little, maybe a little guilty, but I think that it's also true with our faith here is that. If you want to build a recipe for your kids to not consider faith importance, is you cannot have the model of do what I say, not what I do. Mm. Your kids will watch who you are, not what you say. And in fact, I mean that's that's his point in the article. You know, he says, and this is in one on one side of this, it's reassuring, and on the other side, it's challenging to us because he says, you know, based on the data that's kind of driven him to write this book, he says. Among all possible influences, parents exert far and away the greatest influence in their children's religious outcomes. So even if you don't think you do, you do. So starting there, it it can be overwhelming to think, wow, I actually have that power. But I I think we look at it the other way and say, hey, whether you feel like you have that or not, you do. You have that kind of influence on your child. So knowing that, what are you doing in the small moments? Um, sometimes it's not the silver bullet thing. Like if only this with my kid, it's wake up, waking up every day, taking that next step. That's the right step, right step with a child. But to me, knowing, just knowing I have that power is like, wow, that, what I have at my fingertips with my children in my parenting, it's number one when it comes to influence. Reminds me of a, a, a Paul Tripp book on parenting where it has that very same concept where you, we underestimate the power of the small moments that add up over time and focus way too much on trying to get the big chunks of time that will never come. Oh, man. We think, oh, if we could just get a vacation together and spend uninterrupted time. And then how much time goes by at night staring at screens or watching shows that could be redeemed? I mean, it's... It's high. And I also think of, and you've probably heard this too, you'll be, well, Randy, you know, between sports and their uh, entertainment or uh, electronic products, I can't fit into that. Well, take a step back. All of that is still under our control. I I sometimes, back to your point, I sometimes feel we forget that all aspects of our children's lives are still ultimately, we've either implicitly or explicitly allowed. So we still have a, a sense that we can come in there and speak into that. But Brent, you brought up some earlier in terms of the, the one of the ditches is this authoritarian parenting style that tries to control too much. And Smith actually addresses that. Um, he said there's actually like three different in the article parenting styles, authoritarian, permissive, and passive. Um, you know, authoritarian being very strict and demanding, permissive, basically anything goes. Your, your affection is more important to me than boundaries. And the passive is just, I'm out. I'm, I'm, I don't have an active role. So start off from the Bible we always like to bring it back to that, right? Yeah. Scriptural support for parenting styles, even if it's not in those three paradigms that you see that that would maybe lead uh, toward wanting one of those or the other. Yeah, I mean, I think that depending on your personality is probably where you fall here. Um, and, you know, we can we can weaponize the Bible really quickly. Sometimes we say, obey mom and dad, and that's actually a weaponize of don't inconvenience me. <laughs> well, we can stop so, the podcast right there. I'm fine with that. Let's yeah, just yeah. go and say, we're done. But <laughs> clearly... God has put parents at a clear responsibility for being the authority of the house. And I think that we have to step in that. And we can overswing that, but less than, for me, I, I'm trying to think of a way to 
process this even this moment is just like authority is like I am responsible. To me, when I think of authority, I don't think of being the boss. I think of being responsible. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, if I'm thinking of authoritative as I want it done my way, that might, that, good luck with that because you can't get a toddler to do what you can, and you certainly can't get a high schooler to do what you want. But if you think of authority, if I'm responsible, and then the other ones pass it out, and clearly we're responsible for our children. Deuteronomy 6, like we are responsible for raising our kids, even more than the church. The church is supposed to come along, but the parents are responsible. So then for me, it's real. I'm just, this is me. It's either I want to be in control or I want to be passive. That's mm-hmm. that. I, and probably there's some people who want to be, pa- I don't know how everyone else goes, but passive is me shirking the God given responsibility and hoping that somehow it's going to come along. And it's just, that's a fool's errand. And then permissible is probably just when I'm too lazy to deal with it. Mm, absolutely true. And think of it this way. Think back to probably our primary influence of how we were as parents was our parents and our situation, right? Yeah. And so it, what would you think of this? Either we see what happens. So I grew up in a very authoritarian home. I could either double down and be in more of authority because it's a good thing. Turn me out, double down on it. Or I reject it completely and I do the complete opposite. And in some ways that, that is what that is. That's a great point. Two, two ends of the same spectrum. There's a... You know, the, the, there's so much power. There's so much power in a gospel sense, and, and this isn't a verse, but so kind of a concept in the word is the gospel is really when you live in paradox, you're so close to the gospel. Think about it. Mm. You know, Jesus says to be first, you have to be last. To go up, you have to go down. To go forward, you have to go back. We right. think about that in the gospels. So this idea of parenting as authoritative carries that same paradox, that it's, it's demanding, but it's a warmth of demanding. And so there's a beauty in that that says, yeah. man, I'm really close to the gospel. Where the other ones, they fall off the ditch on either side. And so that concept of paradox in parenting that, sure, my, my parenting style is authoritative. It's clear. It's demanding expectations. But at the same time, there's an abundance of warmth. You know, I think of, first, of John 1 there, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Right. He knew how to cut that. And so that idea of authoritarian, uh, what he calls authoritative parenting is I think it captures that gospel paradox so well. Recently, Matt, I heard you. I, th- and I'm, I could be wrong, but you can take credit for it anyway. Um, I heard good, you, I will. I heard you say basically that if it feels like you're balancing that tension all the time, you're probably doing it right. Because if you don't feel that tension, you've probably erred in one of the directions. And I think this, is, that might have been to marriage, but this applies to parenting as well. <laughs> um, so that's a style concept. Let's go down to one more practical. When people do this every day, and I want to talk about talking to your kids about your faith. Uh, and Aaron, this is something I know you've, you've thought intentionally about. A lot of our kids' programming um, has a concept of that we're providing resources to parents, um, not just to take home and have them draw on later, but to actually spur those conversations out. Um, talk to us a little bit about why we do that at Keystone Kids and, and how that's feeding into the ability for us to talk to our kids about our faith. Yeah, we're trying to just make it a little bit easier for families because we do want it to be practical, we want it to be applicable, and we want it to be easy for families. It shouldn't be a task of, oh, I have to get this thing done in addition to everything else that you're doing because helping your child um, learn about their faith and experience it for themselves is about bringing them along in everything that you're doing. Right. So having those conversations and using the pointers of things that we provide will be helpful 
but it's just a starting point. That doesn't mean that that's what you have to use. But hey, if your child learned about David this weekend, let's talk about that connection. What does that look like? And how does that relate to Jesus? Use that on your car ride home, just as you're talking in everyday life. That's what um, parenting is about, is using those moments in everyday life that you're fitting in between your sports and the electronics and everything else, where you're helping your kids to see God in their everyday lives. Well, that's a that's a great point, and and just practically, all, all three of you have, have uh, children various ages. We have the whole things. Where where did you find those times? Where were the kind of best times? And and here's what one thing I want our our people to know is this isn't a normative demand. Hey, I should always talk to my children here. These are just some variety of ways. Is that in your rhythm, in your context, right? Uh, a two parent working family that have cross schedules is going to look a lot different than empty nester with kids that are on college. What are some of those practical ways that you found? Um, I'll, I'll kick us off and start one. Um, and I know other people that do this. Right after the service when you drive home. If you have a captive audience in your car for X many minutes, guess what? They can't jump out of the car. You can control everything in the conversation and just go. Now, in my context, it was a very difficult talk about an Old Testament passage that I didn't want to talk to my kids about yet. Um, that's for another story for another day. <laughs> But what other practical ways have you seen successful given your context that in terms of talking to your kids? Crisis comes to mind. You know, my, mm. helping your kids understand how you respond in the middle of crisis. You know, it's one thing in the everyday of life. That's obviously important. But, man, you talk about they're going to catch hypocrisy if they see you saying one thing and then in crisis you throw all that out the window. So, oh, great point. you know, really— debriefing after crisis or letting them see you in crisis. How did dad handle this? How did mom live her faith out in the middle of this? So that's crisis is one that comes to mind. It's such a teachable time. Great point. I think the other thing is just talking openly about it because we just expect our kids to notice when we're reading our Bible or mom stepped away and she's praying. Like they don't know that unless we share that with them. Hey guys, I was feeling really stressed just a mm. minute ago and this is what I said to the Lord and prayed this. Or I'm gonna run into the store right now and let's just ask God to give us favor that we find what we're looking for quickly. Things like that. Great point. Uh, yep, to me, Aaron, that's exactly what I was going to say. It comes with you should teach your ch children things that are in the scriptures. I think of our, we want to help you know and follow. There's tons of stuff. We want to make sure our kids know the Bible, okay? But to me, it's much more powerful when you talk about how you're following him. Like, hey, I mean, our kids are at a different age uh, in these days, but as you're making choices to follow Jesus, you bring them up to what just happened. Great when point. you, yep. I think that one of the powerful things I heard someone tell me one time is repent to your kids. Ooh. When you blow it and your attitude or your um, anger towards them was sinful, one of the most powerful things you can do is walk to them when you're putting them to bed that night and say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? So when they see us following Jesus, and they see us following it. To me, that's where the hypocrisy breaks down because a lot of us can quote verses. Don't, don't hear me saying that's not important, but it's, I think showing them how we follow is really important. I think of, uh, the last thing that says this is it's radically different. Man, Carrie was so much better at helping toddlers know and follow Jesus than I was. I, I felt like a fish out of water. I just did. I it wasn't easy for me. I didn't know that 
brain, like I want to bring a sermon, and there are three. Like, <laughs> it just wasn't simple. How, how they do in the original Hebrew. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was harder for me. As they're getting older, I have all teenagers now. I, boy, I was a youth guy. Like this is actually way easier for me um, to know where to start. So I think it's also knowing as a, if you're by yourself, it, you might know, man, this is going to be a hard season and just dive in where you can. doesn't mean I got off the hook when they were kids, um, but just trying to realize who's really good in this season or maybe, I, man, this is going to be a hard season, but I can't wait till, you know, just trying to figure that out. And it's never too late to start, no matter what age your child is at or wherever your faith is at. Start where you are. And if you don't have a great habit of reading your Bible, start now and bring your child along with that. Wherever you are, whatever stage they're in, it's always a good place to start. Yeah, I remember I just was with a family, and uh, the dad came to faith when the oldest was, uh, I think, 15 years old. Mm. And a pretty dramatic coming to faith for the father. And... The youngest child has never not known a Christian dad. And the oldest one has a lot of stories of a not-so-great dad. But all of those kids are walking with Christ because in that moment, they started where they were at. You know, it's it, it's a tough task that, that we're asked to do, but also realize we're not alone in this. You know, we, we do this in the context of a church family. And Smith talks about that. He uses a, a pretty aggressive word, what, channeling for internalization, which makes my eyes gloss over a little bit. I called it something different. I call it a, 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 a good friend of mine a long time ago called it a conspiracy of grace. And so this is parents intentionally and purposefully arranging non-parental influences and you know moving the chess pieces around. And it's that we can help that even when it's not us. It's, it's purposeful, it's strategic. You know, have you done this as a parent? And if so, what, what are some of the ways you do it? For example, uh, for my boys, there are other men within this church, they would come up to me and say, can I do, and I don't even care what the activity was. And usually though, if it involved hunting, fishing, anything outdoors, absolutely, because I'm horrible at that. And so if you want to take my kid fishing, that was a blessing of God. But people in this church that have skill sets, interests that can help feed into that are such a blessing to that. What other ways have you seen that? Just a couple thoughts there are, you know, I call it reinforcing forces. You know, that's what I've thought of it as. Yep. And as, there's a guy in my son's life named John, and and he was someone who took my values and spoke them to my son. Uh, and I had plenty of those moments that I've heard parents talk about where my son would come home and be like, hey, you know what John said? He said this thing. And it would be some principle. I'd been telling him for like his whole <laughs> life, you know, but it's like because John, John told him, it. right. It's like this is really a good thing, and I'm— and so you just take a deep breath and say, yeah, listen to John. So, so that's one thing. The other thing I did want to say is like your comment about like when my son became a guitar player and got into music I didn't like, I learned intentionally to like the things I didn't like because he did. You know, I took an interest in, I learned what Iron and Wine was, for instance. He loved that, <laughs> that band. And so I'm like, all right, I got to listen to that music. That's a great point. So that's inter- actually not a bad situation. I understand, but you know how old I am. So I was like, but, but that, that's kind of another part of where you, you're doing it yourself. You're not depending on someone else. So yes, you know, reinforcing forces, but also yourself deliberately, how am I entering into my child's world? Great point. Yeah. There was a, I, I can't quote it right now. I probably should have looked it up, but there's a, there's a study, I think it's with Barna, that says a key indicator of whether your kid will walk with Jesus in the next year at college and post is if they had some, an adult beyond their parents who lived out the faith in front of them. 
And this is the reason we have connection group leaders, especially for middle school and high school, because in our ministry model, they have someone that's most likely closer to them in age who is going to champion the gospel truths and going to help them walk through lives that's going to say the same thing as a parent, uh, but they're going to be able to be in their life. That's one of the reasons we do that. It helps them to expand their understanding of Christianity and who else is a believer. Because when you're in the home, you feel like, oh, this is what our home does. But it's helpful for kids to see that there are other people who have the same beliefs, who do things a little bit different, but we're all centered in Christ. And that's where those adults and other people in lives of kids really make a difference. Great words, great words. Uh, Brian, as we, as we finish up, some final thoughts here. You know, this a lot of aspirational talk and, and for good reason, but what encouragement can we give to those people? You know, they're fighting this battle, but it's a single parent. You have an unsupported spouse. You have other obstacles that are in your way that are, that are hard. We don't want to minimize that. What are, what are some words of encouragement you can give to them? I, I think of, man, I have a heart to give some encouragement here because um, this is my story. And, um, you know, if, if you're listening to this, you're a single spouse or you have a spouse that is either non-believing or just completely on the passive end of things, a couple of things come to mind is this, is number one is do not forget. Don't forget this. This is ultimately God's work. Mm. And sometimes we put the pressure that if, if I don't get it right, if we're not the perfect parents, our kids won't walk with Jesus and I would just say, have you read your Bible? Like God is the one who raises people up. And so um, get, take a little bit of pressure off yourself. Um, and, and in the midst of that, just do what you can. Be faithful. Um, like, I'm just, just be faithful with what you can do. You are not going to be able to be a mom and a dad, but you can be a faithful whatever you are. If you don't have the spouse and you just long, and I would just say, I'm sure there's deep grief. Grieve the fact that you don't have support. Mm. That's okay. But also just do what you can do and don't rack yourself with pressure. Lean on the everlasting God to walk with you through this. In fact, um, God is more powerful than two parents being perfect for 18 years. And so just relax in that. And I think the last thing is this, if that's you, I, unfortunately, sometimes single parents or parent, you know, a spouse with an unbelieving spouse or unsupportive pulls away from church because they don't feel like they fit in. I, I would not be where I was at unless my mom would have stayed squarely put in a church because where she was weak, many Christian brothers and sisters came alongside her. And so if you're not in a connection group and there's not people in your lives that can see those areas to step in, like just show up. Like get in that place because that's where the body can begin to take care of itself. We do not say family here lightly. It's, it's not just a buzzword. It's our intent. That's how we structure everything to do that. And so great words for that. Appreciate it. Well, Brent, Matt, Aaron, thank you so much. Great insights on parenting. And Kiso family, thanks so much for joining us on our conversation today. Please visit keystonelife.com. Visit the resources, the articles up there, as well as all our articles and equipping. And feel free to continue this conversation with your connection group. We wish you all grace and peace in your journey to know and follow Jesus.